How many of you have issues with particular foods that you should not be eating? Anybody? You know how we get, you know, they say moderation, moderation, and, and when it comes to food, we're supposed to eat with our diet in moderation. And there's some things that are easy to eat in moderation. For, for me, one of the things that's really easy for me to eat in moderation is, is that, that pecan-encrusted orange goop that they, they serve at Thanksgiving. I think it's yams or... You know what I'm talking about? Now, I'm, I, I'm sorry if I offend you because I know there's some people that you say, oh, it's just like eating candy. No, it's not. It's disgusting. I'm sorry. Nothing like candy. So there's some things that, that I have no problem eating in moderation. In fact, I can eat that in moderation to the point where I don't eat it at all. But then there's other foods where we are horrible at eating in moderation. That, that kind of food that if it's placed in front of you, you're playing cards with family, if that bowl is on the table, you are going to devour it. What is that food for you? Any, any takers? Ice cream. How many are you? You're all about the ice cream. That's your week. That's your kryptonite. What else? Potato chips. Chocolate. Chocolate. But what, what do they say? Dark chocolate isn't it good for you? It's good for the heart. It's like, for me, for me, I love candy. My, my kids know that if they get candy and they leave it out, we have something called dad tax in our house. And dad tax, it's pretty high tax. It's sometimes it's as like high as 80%. And they know if we have candy, we just leave it out. Dad tax is going to make that disappear pretty quick. For me, it's Skittles. I love Skittles and I love Starburst. If there's a bowl of that out, I just, I really have a hard time eating that in moderation. The temptation is for me to begin to just devour it and not stop. And today we're in a, in a series in James, and we're calling it James from skeptic to servant. James, we, 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 most scholars believe that the writer of James was Jesus' brother, his half-brother, who, who he grew up with. And James, the whole time they were growing up, James did not believe in Jesus. In fact, he doubted Jesus. In fact, uh, we see some sarcasm when the brothers of Jesus come to him and say, hey, why don't you do this in public out over here? And, then, and, and because they didn't believe in him. Yet now we see James writing this book that we're going through over the next season. And he calls himself a servant of God and Christ Jesus. And if you want to catch up with this series, you can visit our website, evangelpc.com, and you can listen on our sermons page. Or if you like your podcast, whatever podcast app you have, just look up Evangel Pentecostal Church, and you can get caught up with us. But today, why don't you turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1, and we're going to be tracking verses 12 to 18. James chapter 1, 12 to 18. We don't put stuff up on the screens at Evangel. We believe that we need to get in a habit of being in the Word of God, whether that's in our hard copy Bible with paper, or if you use version or some kind of an app, that's all right. But here's what it says, starting verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. 
For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Um, here's the interesting thing. James opens this letter to the church, and, and at the time he says, take joy when facing trials, right? When we, when we first opened this series, take joy when you face trials. The word trials in the Greek uh, has, has, is connected, but it's interchangeable depending on context, all right? So when James opened this book, when he said the word trials, he meant trials. He meant circumstances, hard times, things that are coming against you, things that are out of your control, growing pains, the things that, that are a result of a broken world around us starting to weigh heavy on us. However, when we're reading in today's passage, the context changes. And so our understanding of, of the word changes based on the context. And so instead of reading it as trials, we're now reading it as temptations. Temptations. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under temptation. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So why is this so important? Because what we do with temptation is 100% ours to own. What we do with temptation is 100% ours to own, and it has moral implications involving sin, brokenness, and self-centeredness. Trials are outside. We have no control, whereas temptation, the ball is in our court. So as we read, we need to read this in the context of temptation and sin and brokenness. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under temptation. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Trials are outside. Temptation, the ball is in our court. So let me give you a real life example from my daily commute in Powell River. Um, I come from the city. I've only been here for about 16 months. And so I come from Surrey where we like to drive. If you're going to get in a car, like typically, like the unwritten rule is you drive 15 to 20 over whatever the sign says, right? That's flow of traffic and all that. And so for me in Powell River, as I'm driving along, I don't know if Rick is here, as I'm driving along going 50, not a kilometer over, I inevitably come up to a car, and if you're in this room, God bless you. I love you. <laughs> that, that's going 40. And, and you know what? At this point, I have no control over this car that's going 40. I, I can't reach out and hit their accelerator and make them go faster. I, I have no control over it. At this point, it's a trial for me. It's a hardship for me. It's a broken world weighing heavy on me. <laughs> if you're here, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but here's what happens, though. Here's what happens. It's a trial until temptation hits. And temptation for me, and this is the God's honest truth, okay? 
I'm going to give you some insight into the mind and the heart, the black heart of Lucas. The temptation for me, more often than I like to admit, is to swing out into oncoming traffic and just to just, just whip by this person. Especially when I'm on my motorcycle, because it's just so easy. It's so fast. You do it like that. And that's the temptation. The temptation is out of this desire to be self-centered. This temptation comes out of this desire, this deep place within me that thinks that the world should revolve around me. If I'm going a certain speed, everybody else should be going a Get out of my way. Don't you know I have things to do, places to be? And driving 40 is killing me slowly on the inside. Trials you can't control. Temptation, the ball's in your court. All of a sudden, the ball is in your court. You see, trials can lead us to temptation. But temptation is to be either reactive or to be selfish in the choices that we make. So why is this distinction so important? Because James is about to make an emphatic point to us. And if you're taking notes, write this down. Your desires, your, okay, key word, your desires inform your temptations. Your desires inform your temptations. Inform means to give facts or information. In other words, your desires give facts or information to the temptations that you face in this life. Blessed is the man or woman who remains steadfast under trial, under temptation. In other words, James is saying, if you hold up under temptation, you are blessed. Because when you hold up under temptation, what are you doing? You are living in the best that God has for you. You are living according to what God has for you. But when you give in to temptation... You begin to give in to the desires of your heart. And this is going to become important as we move on. But then he goes on to reveal to us the alternative to remaining steadfast when tempted. And here's what he says in verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person who is tempted, when he is lured and enticed by his, what? His own desires. Remember, your desires inform your temptations. When he is tempted, when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Here is a fundamental and foundational truth about God. God is holy. So what does that mean? It means that he is perfect in his consistency. Now, you might ask the question, who gets to determine the standard of holiness? Well, here's the history of humanity. God always was. And God created all that we know. So it stands to reason that God as creator has determined the standard of holiness and right living. And God is perfectly consistent 
in this. So sin, brokenness, and our rebellion as humanity does not come from God, and it's not a part of his nature. For God to tempt a human being with sin would mean that God would have to become inconsistent in who he is. And we know that God never changes. So here's what James is saying. Your ability to blame God is off the table. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift from, is from above. Verses 16 to 17. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. James is making a very clear point to us as human beings. He's saying, listen guys, when you're tempted, it's not from God. It's not from God. It's from your own desires. It's coming, the, 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 the truth is it's coming from you. Your desires inform your temptations. Have you ever been there though? That place where your own choices and your decisions to engage brokenness and sin in your life has kind of brought you to the bottom? Have you ever been there where the temptation in that moment is to begin to shake your fists at the heavens? Have you ever been there? I remember early on in my adult life doing that very thing. I was, I was broken because I was making really poor decisions. I was broken because I was not walking in the principles that God had laid out of me around Sabbath and rest. I was broken because I began to engage the desires of my heart and engage sin in my life. And I remember coming to a place where everything was falling apart and I began to get angry at God. And James says, you don't have that option. When your brokenness and your sin brings you to a place of hopelessness and despair, you don't get to look to God and shake your fist and go, God, why did you do this to me? James is saying, no, 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 no. Your desires inform your temptations. So take responsibility. Verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The source of temptation in your life comes from your own brokenness. And in fact, when it all boils down to it, James doesn't even give you the option of blaming the devil. You know that? He doesn't even give you the option of blaming Satan. Your desires inform your temptations. I remember one day when, when my dad lined up three of us kids and asked the question, who put all the staples in the garden hose? <clears throat> like... I don't have a super good memory when it comes to my childhood, but I remember this one so clearly. We're all lined up in a row, and he's like walking, looking at each of us in the eye, who put the staples in the garden hose? And we all, as kids do, what did we do? We blamed our brother, we blamed our sister, okay? That's what you do. And I remember my brother blaming me. I got blamed for everything. I was the oldest, and I just got blamed for everything. I don't know why. It was like they kind of had a little... 
conspiracy against me. And my dad said, if you guys, if someone doesn't step forward, you guys are all getting punished for this. No one stepped forward. And we all got punished for it. And then years later, we bring this up. We're all adults now. We bring it up. We're at an uncle, aunt and uncle's farm outside on the patio just talking. And my brother starts laughing. And he's like, it was me. <laughs> like, you, you jerk. But it's interesting, our nature is broken people when confronted with our sin and our wrongdoing is to blame anything and anyone, even God, rather than taking ownership. That, that seems to be the way, even, even right back, we go to Adam in the garden. Very first time sin enters the world, they mess up big time. And God comes into the garden, he goes, Adam, what did you do? And what does Adam say? It was the woman that you gave me. Very first time there's a confrontation of sin and Adam, the father of all human life, he begins to blame everybody else but take ownership himself. And this is why it's important because it isn't until we own our own brokenness and sin that we can begin to walk in wholeness. It isn't until we take responsibility for our actions. It isn't until we go, yeah, you know what? My bad. That we can begin a process where we begin to allow the Holy Spirit to do something significant in our lives. We got to stop blaming. We got to stop shaking our hands and our fists at the heavens, blaming God for our brokenness and our sin. It's ours to own. We aren't given the option of blaming our temptations or brokenness on God because God is holy and He's perfectly consistent. So, what happens when we make decisions to give in to temptation? James, James in verse 15, he goes on, he says, Then desire. Desired, which is from us, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings, brings forth death. And James is using very sexual, reproductive imagery here. Okay, this is what he's doing. And he says, here's the deal. When temptation gets together with your desire and you give in, there's a conception that happens in that moment. And that conception is called sin. And sin separates us from God. There's a conception that happens. And here's the deal. Temptation has this way of being exciting, doesn't it? Temptation has this way of convincing us that there's going to be something good at the other end of this, that there's something exciting about it, that there's something going to be fulfilling about it, that you're missing out on something greater. And temptation has this way, just like sex has this way of anticipation, temptation has this way of just gearing us up for something great. And we all know that sin has a pleasure for a season. We all know that when we give in to temptation and we meet with our desires, that there is something fun about that. But it's only for a season. 
It's only for a bit because James goes on and says, our desires that inform our temptations and our giving into temptation that begins the process of conceiving sin. Now, here's the deal. I want to be as sensitive as I can because this, this is going to be a bit of a sensitive statement and some sensitive imagery for some people here. And I just want to be very, very, uh, I want to acknowledge that, but I don't want to walk away from what James is trying to say here, okay? So we're going to follow this through. But here's what James is saying. Sin becomes a pregnancy. And for a season, it's full of pleasure. And it seems to promise you life. And it seems to promise you fulfillment. There's an anticipation that comes with pregnancy, isn't there? Yet the reality is, when sin comes to term, it's like having a stillborn baby. And all of that anticipation, all of that promise of life, all of that, it's gone. And it breaks you, and it hollows your soul. And it leaves you dead and empty inside. It breaks you in ways you could not even imagine. This is the imagery that James is trying to go. He's going strong here. He's saying, listen, guys, listen, listen, listen. When you give in to temptation and you conceive sin in your life, it may feel good. It may look good. It may, it may promise you some things. But in the end, it's dead. It's dead. He says, don't be deceived, friends. Desire informs your temptation, and giving in to temptation leads to a conception of something you don't fully understand that has a power to hurt you and to break you and to ultimately kill you. This is what sin does. Now, James is not referring, when he, says, when he says death, he's not referring to our physical body. He's not referring to physical death, although that's part of it. We all die. Until Jesus comes, we're all going to die. But James here is referring to the destruction of your soul for eternity. He says, when sin becomes fully grown in your life, if you don't deal with it, if you don't invite Jesus into it, if you don't take responsibility and ownership for your own desires, your own temptations, your own choices, sin, when it's fully grown, it'll kill you for eternity. Now, a lot of pastors and leaders, are the Western church, we don't like to talk about eternal punishment very much. But the Bible does. This is a reality. This is a reality. There is a heaven to gain and there is a hell. And James is warning us. But here's the deal. With Jesus, there's always hope. With Jesus, there's always hope. With Jesus, there's always a way of escape. With Jesus, there's always the promise of life. Verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. James continues with the same terminology. 
He uses the same words, just as he said, there's a conception, there's a bringing forth. When temptation meets desire, there's a bringing forth. He's saying now, wait a second, there's also a bringing forth. That God has brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, that we would be firstborns of all that he created. God of his own will brought us forth. He birthed us by the word of truth. Do you remember your firstborn? I, I remember when we had Kaylee. I mean, we were young. Um, I, I, Lisa was 21. I was 23. I mean, we didn't have a whole lot of life under our belt. And I remember this moment, this little slimy alien looking thing comes out and it's it's amazing like I remember in high school watching you know, you do health class you had to watch a birth and I remember like like oh that's disgusting that's yet now I had my own disgusting slimy little and I remember the love that washed over me that I had never experienced before. And Jesus is saying, James is saying to us, listen, there's a bringing forth with Jesus. There's a bringing forth of the firstborn. That God looks at you with such excitement and love as you engage in the truth of God's word. Truth changes everything, and Jesus is the truth. He is the life. We have a blessed alternative to this cycle of sin and brokenness, the cycle of temptation meets desire and conceives something broken and something that ultimately kills us. Now we have the truth because we have Jesus Christ and instead we can trade in that cycle for the life that God gives us, but it takes us taking ownership. It takes us realizing that we are broken and in need of that life, in need of something different in this lifetime and Jesus is the answer to that now we've been saying your desires inform your temptation now I don't want you to miss this because that's a very depressing statement and I'm not I'm not one that likes to be depressing your desires inform your temptation but here's the deal if you take notes write this down Here's the alternative. Your temptations inform the invitation. Your temptations inform the invitation. There is a profound truth at work that James is making clear to us today. I don't care who you are or where you come from. It doesn't matter what your belief system is, how you were raised, where you're at right now. You can be a person of faith in Christ Jesus right now. You can be here. You're exploring faith. Maybe you came with a friend and you have completely different views of this world. It actually doesn't matter who you are, where you came from. At some level, we can all completely relate to this cycle of brokenness that James just laid out to us. We can all relate to the desires that initially promised us something fantastic and then let us down and broke us in ways that we don't even fully understand. We can all relate 
to these cycles of brokenness and sin in our lives. The fact that you experience temptation informs your invitation because it reveals the desires of your heart for the very things that bring death, hopelessness, and brokenness. And so there's two things that I want to say when it comes to invitation. Initially, the invitation is this. We realize that we are broken people, that there's sin, and it's a real thing, and these cycles do not lead us to life, but rather they're leading us to death. And the invitation is this, Jesus Christ, he comes to this earth and he dies on the cross so that he could take your sin and your brokenness and take it upon himself. All the consequences of it. And he dies on the cross and he rises again on the third day. And here's the invitation. He invites you to first acknowledge your brokenness. And then to ask him into your heart and into your life. This is what Christianity is all about. This is why we gather here today. God sent his son to free you, to allow you to experience a new dynamic in your life. One that leads to life and not death. One that leads to wholeness and not brokenness. Your temptations inform the invitation of Jesus to experience life in him. A new birth that comes when we engage truth. The truth is you are a sinner. We are all sinners. We are all broken. But that Jesus loves you and died for you and he took your consequences upon himself so you could have life. This week we temporarily said goodbye to a dear brother in the Lord by the name of Billy Graham. And let's just listen to what he has to say. See, the invitation's simple. In fact, for some of us, it's too simple. We, we want it to be complicated. It's not complicated. We can all relate to this reality. And your temptation informs the invitation because your temptation reveals that you are broken, that there's something wrong. And Jesus is the answer for that. And then the second thing is if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, and have been made new by confessing your sins and asking Christ to make you new, the temptation still informs the invitation because your temptations, it reminds you of the areas of desire in your heart that you need to continually invite the Holy Spirit into. They reveal the desires of your heart that still need just a touch from God. And this process is called sanctification. It's a fancy word that means looking more and more like Jesus every day. It's a fancy word that means taking what is still broken at times, that we return to at times, even though we're new creations of Christ. Sometimes we return to these things, the desires of the old life and the old man and our temptation. It informs our invitation where we go, Lord, I am still tempted in these areas. These desires still exist. Holy Spirit, would you come into this area of my life and we begin to change something? And your temptations, it doesn't just inspire the invitation of the Holy Spirit and God, but it also inspires the invitation of other believers to come in and to help you and walk with you in those desires. Where it says we're to confess our sins one to another. Why? Because there's a strength in numbers. Because you are made for community. You weren't made to come on a Sunday where everybody gets dressed up and looks just right and says the right things and does the right things 
and then walks out in their brokenness alone and hopeless. No, 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 that's not the Christian faith. That's not what the gathered church looks like. The gathered church looks like a messed up place where people are real about their brokenness and they invite others into the journey so we can walk in wholeness. Your temptations, they inform the invitation. What are you tempted in today? What are you tempted in today? Because there's something deeper going on there that you need to invite the Spirit into. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits, firstborn of his creation. 